Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same love, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right or die. Welcome back to Forged in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Rob Verhels, better known as Fireman Rob. As I've had some other guests on, this guest is no different. He's amazing. He's got a backstory. He was in the 82nd Airborne. He was a firefighter. And now he has a great coaching platform, Kaizen Coaching. Isaac, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate you inviting me. So, you know, Isaac, you and I have talked a lot, and I'm actually working with Kaizen Coaching. You have such an amazing platform, and I, I think I'd love to give you that time to be able to tell us more about the background, because you talk about Kaizen Coaching, it's the whole person approach to coaching. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it really is the whole person approach, and I had been part of coaching organizations. I'd been coached, and I'd been coaching people, mentoring people from when I was 18 years old and started working, you know, stopped working at, at a zoo and at UPS at 3.30 in the morning loading trucks. And I started my first kind of real job selling knives for Cutco. And that was a great experience for me. I, I went in the interview not knowing what it was. I came out of the interview kind of still not knowing what it was, but thinking, man, if they're going to pay me like 10 bucks an hour per appointment, I don't need to be able to sell anything. I'll just work my butt off and and make the money that I need to make for college. And so at that point, that really got me into the world of mentoring and coaching and, and personal development. And I fell in love with it. And so ever since then, even through the military and fire service and the other things that I've done, that whole mentoring and coaching component has been important. So I didn't start the coaching company until about five years ago. And that was with uh, my friend, Jeff Latham. He said, Hey man, we should start a coaching company. We've always talked about it. We both have the opportunity right now. And we did. And so when we started it, we decided we really wanted to focus on not just making more money because we knew a lot of people who made a ton of money and were still miserable people who I didn't want to be like. And I knew a lot of people that didn't make that much money who were also incredible human beings. And so we knew that wasn't a consistent factor of they have to make a lot of money in order to be happy. What I did find is if they felt stuck or trapped or like money was the only thing and controlled them, that was leading people down the path of, of not being fulfilled and not having joy. And so we made it from day one, part of our coaching program that we're going to focus on not just one metric of money. We're going to focus on individual success and happiness and letting that person redefine their own success instead of telling them what it looks like for them. That's such a great point. And when you were in the 82nd Airborne, how did some of those life lessons that you had in the, you know, going through training, going after you're done with training, how did that correlate to how you coach now? Ooh, well, first of all, it's not easy. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people right now, especially, you know, 44% of leaders, I think it was the last 
study I saw, 44% of leaders right now in business are millennials. And so most of those people weren't in a leadership position in 2008, 2010, when things were very challenging in the economy. And so it's all kind of been uphill. It's, it's been whoever can drive revenue and get sales and takes a different kind of leader to be able to manage mindset through a difficult situation. And that's, that's one of the things that I learned in the 82nd and before and after that's, that's been a pretty consistent theme was I've been through some challenging things in life. And fortunately, we get an opportunity to either, either come out, you know, winning through that scenario or learning something that's also a win. So I've learned a lot about perseverance and grit and just a, how mindset can affect outcomes and behavior. So that's the biggest thing I took away from the 82nd. And the other part was just discipline, that it's important to be able to get yourself to do what you know you're supposed to, even when you don't want to. It's amazing how many people in life don't, you know, know what they need to do and just feel like they can't do it. Right. And that aligns perfectly with Kaizen. Now, Kaizen means consistent improvement or change for the better. That's exactly what you're talking about right there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The coaching company didn't start out as Kaizen Coaching. In fact, it was Freedom Evolution Coaching. We were teaching people how to leverage, help leverage other people, systems, processes, tools, technology to essentially work themselves out of their position in their business and be more of an owner than an operator. And what we found was we were giving people a lot of good information. We had, we had kind of a mass exodus at one point of clients all at the same time. We didn't have a lot of turnover consistently and, and all kind of at the same time, we had several people leave. And so I just, I called them up and I asked what, what spurred this? And, and almost universally, the answer was, uh, this is just too much good stuff. It's too much good stuff. And my initial response was almost to full, you know, throw the, throw the bullshit flag. And say that's, that's the worst answer I've ever heard. But I stayed in curiosity and I asked more questions. And what I found was there was no continuity. We were giving people something that was really good in and of itself, but was not part of a good overall plan. And we also didn't have the time for them to implement and the support to help them implement the ideas. So we were throwing out great ideas every single week. And what happened was they'd get halfway through one idea, they'd invest time and energy in it, and we'd throw out something else. And it was so good of an idea, they didn't want to abandon the first one, but they also didn't want to not do the second one. So they just started accumulating these half-done things. And that was, when I look back, a huge disservice to my clients at the time. So what I started researching was, what do people need? And and why am I doing this? And what it really came down to was one, a little bit of insecurity around coaching at the time, feeling like, how am I? I was coaching people in the real estate industry. I'd never done real estate. I was running a real estate team with Jeff, but I'd never transacted real estate. I'd never met a real estate license. So a little bit of insecurity and a lot of trying to look smart and look good, a lot of ego. And so I just wanted to say really brilliant things and bring really brilliant concepts to the table. And what I found out was once you get past, you know, myself, and my ego and wanting to look smart and look right was I just needed to help them win. I needed to help them get to better. And the path to better was not through lots of great ideas that they couldn't finish. It was through consistent improvement and refinement of what they already knew with some tweaks or additions along the way to make it more streamlined and more purposeful. So I started researching what that looked like. And the, the, the word that kept coming across was Kaizen. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And I was thinking about getting a tattoo at the time, another tattoo. And I decided to put that on my arm because I just, just was thinking about the, the relevance of 
a coach and the authenticity and the ability to, to be able to speak into someone else's world with integrity. And if you're not focused on that thing yourself, um, it, it lacks power. And so I put that on my arm to remind me every day to get better, you know, so I would not, I would not forget it. I would have to see it every day. And if I wasn't doing it, it would be a slap in the face to me. And so I got the tattoo first and then started thinking about renaming the company. And when I renamed the company, it was a natural fit because that was what we we're up to just helping people get better one step at a time. I love it. I love it. And it, you know, I always talk about your strength is in your passion and you can really hear it in your voice and, and, you know, reading the comments on individuals who have talked about your coaching, you can definitely see that they feel that passion behind you. How big of a component is that for an individual to find what they are passionate about? Because you talk about defining your own success and that's just as powerful as defining what you're passionate about, right? Yeah, it depends on what they're looking for. Some people are kind of not ready for that yet. They still are at the point where they feel maybe lower on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, not less of an individual, just have not gotten to the point of safety where they feel like they're going to be okay financially. Um, and fear drives a lot of it. And, and honestly, there are some coaching companies that perpetuate that. You know, they keep driving that fear by saying, you're not there yet and you're not there yet. You need to make more in order to be up on stage or worthy of, of a certain award or, or a certain um, status. And so it, it drives that in people. And, and what we decided was it was really important to just get back to, um, to individual success and helping people define what that is and, and figure it out if they were ready. And a lot of people aren't ready, but the people who are, we make it a point to help them figure out what success looks like for them, not just financially, but how does that financial success impact the rest of their life and set it up kind of in an in a inverse way where we design what an ideal future looks like, what an ideal person looks like. So who are they going to be, do and have, but start with who are they going to be and then things they're going to do and, and then the things that they're going to have are going to follow and setting it up that way. So they become that person and everything else really falls in line from there. I love it. If you had to break it down, besides calling you right now or going to kaizencoaching.com, what would be one of those things that somebody can start with to go down that journey, that, that path, whether they're in business, whether they're in athletics, whether it's a, even like a, a teenager that's listening that says, you know, I, I want that, but I'm nervous to actually commit to the coaching part. What, what is that first step to be able to get that courage to step out of that? I'm glad you asked that because not everybody is ready. And there are some coaches who say everybody needs a coach right now. I, I think that's partially true. I think that some people get a coach before they're prepared and it's not the right fit. And so they kind of get a sour taste for coaching. But you brought up even a teenager, you know, just looking for some help. And I've, I've got a 13 year old. And so I know exactly what, uh, what you're talking about. And he's super into Jocko right now and the Jocko podcast and all the Jocko books and, um, I love that. I love that he is, he's, he's reading a uh, school of greatness right now by Lewis house is the book that he's reading. And I'm, I'm promoting that as much as I possibly can. Um, because just getting access to and inspired by and curious about learning and growing and being better is this is the first step. It doesn't need to start with, with a Kaizen thing. It's just about engaging with wanting to become a better version of yourself. If, if you specifically, if people wanted to, to see what we had, we do have different trainings. Um, we have th things on YouTube and Facebook and 
we're starting to put things on Instagram um, that are that are just informational nuggets. They're just a little bit here, a little bit there of what we believe and, and what we think is important. So um, they can go to the website and download some free, you know, 10 day challenges. Um, they can get a get a training that's virtual so they don't have to hire a coach if they want to learn a specific subject and start working on that. They can just go follow us, you know, on social media and see what we're about because we're not going to be perfect for everyone. In fact, if we were if we were trying to be perfect for everyone, generally we're not going to be good for anyone. It's like the the think about one size fits all fits all uh fitted pants. Right? So right. <laughs> you know if that was a thing, they're all <laughs> they're all like a a 32 uh, extra long or, or, or something, it's it's not going to fit almost anyone at all. And it's going to fit a very few people okay. And it's not going to fit anyone perfectly. Right. So, you know, being, I think being trying, trying to be too much for too many people is where a lot of, a lot of companies, not just coaching companies, but other companies get stuck. And it's really about refining what, who you are and who you're built for and, and what you can do to serve and offer them. And you said something earlier that's so profound because when you're talking about coaching, it's a very personal and a very, it's a humbling thing. And when you're talking about, at first you had the ego of needing to show, you know, show this new stuff, all this new stuff. And when you're talking about Kaizen and something that are, you can go on the website, kaizencoaching.com and read this for yourself. But I love the, the thought of the profound sense of loyalty between our clients and our, and our coaches. And the biggest thing is the mm-hmm. being very transparent by the coaches of their struggles, failures, and triumphs. That's huge, isn't it? Absolutely. If we can't be authentic and real with our clients, now we're not we're not necessarily promoting that somebody uh, commiserates and goes back to man. When, uh, right. Let me tell you a story. When I was seventeen in high school, and I was you know went skinny dipping, and like that's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about the the commitment to being human and being real and being authentic with our clients, even when it doesn't make us look pretty, even when it doesn't make us look smart. And sometimes the biggest lessons that I learned through coaching and, and having coaches myself, and I've got, I've got two coaches right now. So um, I'm, I'm like double, double messed up. I guess if you're looking at it that way, I need a little, <laughs> twice as much. Help, but, if that's the case, um, I have like 12 learning, coaches. <laughs> uh, what I'm learning is that you know, when, when we're just real and authentic, people can learn through our mistakes just as much as they can learn through our advice. And the experience that we bring to the table and the ability to see things because of what we've gone through and the decisions that we've made is a lot of the value. Uh, anyone, I call it Craigslist coaching, you know, coaching that's just read out of a manual, like this is call number one, and I'm just going to read the script to you and you're going to do the thing. I mean, you can get that on, on YouTube. You can watch Eric Thomas or someone like that and get more value than, than paying a coach to just be super formulaic and walk you through a process where the value comes in is in the relationship and is in the accountability and your commitment with the coach to, um, to be an in integrity in that relationship and respect your word with, with them and the, the, ability for them to see outside your box. And I, and I use the phrase, sometimes you can't see the la- see the label when you're inside the jar, you know, especially right now, things are crazy for people. And when things get intense, our autonomic system kicks in. We, we kind of go fight or flight in, in life and in business, not just our physiology, but kind of our mindset goes there and we get tunneled in, we get tunnel vision. 
Um, and it, it allows us to focus on things, but it also keeps us from engaging our peripheral sometimes. And so if we don't have someone seeing the things, standing back and seeing the things that we're not seeing, we can get blindsided. And that's what's going to happen, unfortunately, with a lot of businesses um, over the next 12 to 18 months is they're going to get so dialed in on just surviving that they're not going to see the opportunity that's that's right next to that, or they're not going to see the truck coming, you know, and it's going to just take them out. So uh, that's that's part of the perspective and value that a coach adds is just a different point of view um, when you're not seeing something. Not even that the coach, I, I think that it, I don't think I'm any smarter than, in fact, probably not as smart as most of my coaching clients. Um, and it, it's not about being smarter or more intelligent or just having more information. Sometimes it's just about having a different point of view, a different perspective from where they're sitting. You know, you talked about accountability in there. You said about accountability. What is the value? So a lot of coaches will say, I'll keep you accountable. But long term, that doesn't work because eventually you're going to be outside of the coach's realm or you're going to not have the coach sitting next to you. What is the value of self-accountability? Well, yeah, that's I mean, that's like somebody sitting in the car next to you or behind you and saying, I'm going to make you drive the speed limit. Well, unless you're a cop, you're probably not going to make them drive the speed limit because you have no actual authority aside from what they give you. So there is no such thing as I'm going to hold you accountable uh, unless the coachee says, I am, I am empowering you to hold me accountable because I am choosing to opt into accountability for myself in this relationship. So it's not, I mean, a lot of coaches offer this as a value. Like I'm going to hold you accountable. So you do the right things. Well, Yes and no. You can, you can ask them the questions, but if the client is not being honest or not staying in integrity with those things, it's, it's not going to work. So I think the problem there is that there's a lack of focus on the coachability of the client and not the, uh, and, and an overemphasis on the, the strenuous, uh, activities that the coach is going to go through to try to hold you in to account or hold you accountable when all we're doing is putting restrictions on people. It's like you, if you had teenagers and you locked them in their room all the time, or you know, we're we're incredibly strict with them and didn't let them do anything. As soon as that is not present, they're 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 going to go right back. To, they didn't learn discipline. They didn't learn how to be self managed. They didn't learn good decision making. They they only made those decisions because they didn't have any other choice. So and they probably didn't make those decisions when you weren't looking. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, if they were like me, if they were like me as a teenager, um, they, they made some less than optimal choices. So or learning experiences, as I like to call them now. So they sound That's better. a lot better. Um, yeah. So, so it's the same thing. It's, is if, if, as a coach, we need to stop emphasizing, I'm going to hold you accountable and start emphasizing, I'm going to help you opt into being an accountable person and teach you how to be self-disciplined. That's a great way of putting it. Because the biggest thing is being able to adapt and thrive throughout life. And that's one of the things that you said was one of your greatest accomplishments was being able to effectively adapt and thrive in different situations. Tell me more about what you mean about that, because that's a huge thing to have a client take away from you because it's life experience that you're talking about, not just something that you read in a book. Yeah. So like I mentioned before, I've, I've had some difficult experiences. Not, I'm, I'm not saying they're the they're the worst or the most difficult anybody's ever experienced by any means. And they were they were fairly significant for me at the time. 
I had uh, I had planned to go to West Point and then went all the way through to the the MEP station. I wanted to fly airplanes and um, went all the way through until they were ready to ready to have me sign on the dotted line and ship me out. And they told me last minute, oh, by the way, you don't have 20-20 vision, so you can't fly. And I didn't have glasses or anything at the time, so I didn't know they didn't know. But there wasn't there wasn't LASIK at that point. And so you just needs of the army. You would be whatever they told you to be. And so that was a that was a big deal for me because that was my that was my plan. Um, I I didn't go into the military at that point. I just kind of had to step back out and figure it out. And um, that was what landed me after working, you know, working a couple of jobs. I was working uh, my morning until um, it was time to go to college at UPS, loading, loading and unloading trucks. It's a it's a dirty, uh, less than glamorous job, and it ended right before I had to go to school and take classes, and so. I'd go to call it covered in covered in dirt and everything, and that was that was not very fun. And then run home and quick take a quick shower and go to the zoo. And, and I was selling glow sticks for a four time uh, outside in the freezing cold burn. So um, they were both seasonal jobs. So I got laid off of both of those jobs uh, right before Christmas and had to find something new. But that's where I found Cutco, and I just was of the mindset, you know, I'm not going to give up. This is not impossible. I'm going to figure it out. And that got me one of the best jobs I could possibly have had, if not the best job I could possibly have had at that time that taught me so much about my about leadership um, and about teamwork. And, and so, uh, so I, I bounced. Um, after that, I ended up, we were supposed to open London with uh, my manager and he called me up a few weeks before and, and basically said, I'm out. Everybody, all the positions had already been filled for the next year. And I was one of the top candidates and we we're going to go open London, which, which when you're I think 19 time, 18 at the time is, is awesome. Going to go there with friends and open a new, uh, new territory company that you, and then, you know, I got news right before that happened that he was not going to go. He said, I'm, I'm out. I need to be out of the company. And so I didn't have a spot. You know, I was, I was one of the top candidates and, was all prepared to go to London and open this thing and didn't have a spot. And so I had to, what do I do next? And <clears throat> fortunately there was a, there was a guy who I got placed with who I was able to support and work with him. And he, he became one of my best friends uh, at that time. And I learned a ton through that relation in the military. Um, I wanted to go in and I wanted to be a, a special forces medic and went through basic training, Fort Benning infantry, basic training in the army. And then went to ranger school or the airborne school next. And my best friend had just gone through three weeks ahead of me. And so those airborne school and RIP, the ranger indoctrination program were each three weeks. So he was right ahead of me. He graduated basic training as I was starting, as I was almost done. And then he started uh, RIP as I was graduating basic training, going to airborne school. So he was one step ahead of me every step of the way. And I ended up breaking my foot on the first jump in airborne school. So I went through the whole Went through two weeks. Jump week is the third week. You do a jump off the tower. Broke my foot. <laughs> I didn't know it was broken. I knew something was really wrong because I couldn't, you know, walk right. And so I just decided. Well, I mean, my options are a take my boot off and go to medical and and get shipped off to Fort Drum, New York, or somewhere you know somewhere in the middle of nowhere and not be airborne, or I can push through and I can make a different decision. A lot of people would have thought at that point that I knew that I talked to you like, Hey, you didn't, you didn't really have much of a choice. And in my mind, that never even, that thought never even occurred to me is I don't have a choice. I always have a choice. Right. 
And so my choice was either do that or I leave my boot on and just suck it up and do everything that I can to pass. So I didn't take my boot off for that entire week and couldn't even sleep. Even with the boot on, I couldn't sleep with my sheet on over that because it put just just a tiny bit of weight and the, the pain was so bad I couldn't even do that. Um, sleep with a blanket and sheet on. And so, you know, my foot was was uh, not in good shape. I did all the runs and four more jumps on that foot. Oh, wow. Finally got through graduation. My best friend was there, came over from the Ranger. He graduated Ranger indoctrination program the same time I graduated airborne school, came, you know, pinned me. And so then I, I got to RIP and I, I was at RIP. I finally took my boot off because I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and it had been a week and, and my foot looked like a, you know, looked like a grapefruit got lodged in there somewhere and, and swelled up real big and I couldn't even walk on it at that mm-hmm. point. And so I was, uh, I was just kind of hopping my way around the barracks. I think headed to the bathroom or something. And someone saw me that weekend and said, Hey, come here. And it was somebody who happened to have some authority and took me straight to medical and they evaluated, took me in for x-rays. I had a broken foot. So they said, all right, you're out of here. And Jeez. you know, I, I said, same thing. I said, there's got to be another way. Like I've got to have a choice here. I went in with a specific objective. What else can I do? And so I pled my case and I, and I gave him some options and I said, I'll do anything. I am, if anybody should be in, in the special forces or a ranger in the army, it's got to be somebody who can make four jumps with the, you know, five jumps with a broken foot. And, and so I finally was fortunate enough to have talked him into it. And they talked to the, the major that was there and he said, you know what, that makes a good point. Why don't I have him stay on and just do some paperwork or something for me until it heals? So I did that, just adjusting every step of the way. And instead of saying, well, I guess, you know, I guess this is it and quitting and resigning myself to my, to my fate, it was just always evaluating my options. And unfortunately or fortunately, one way or the other, however you tend to look at it, Easter weekend, they needed three people to go to the 82nd and they said, okay, you three that are on medical, uh, you're gone and just put us around a bus and boom, we we're gone. So, <laughs> so I plead my case at that right. point, but I ended up second and you know, that was the rest of that story. So there, there were a lot of just pivots in my life. There were some pivots when I was firefighting, I had a, I was at a fire and, and got a pretty significant back injury from a, from a fall and got medically retired, you know, about a year and a half later, I fought to stay on shift. I stayed on and was taking my, taking all my vacation days and, and, and sick days, just, we had 48 hour shifts at the time, you know, oh, you're yeah. familiar with, with the, how these go. You know, I was taking my, I was taking every 48 hour shift I was splitting up. So I was basically only working like one day, five days off, one day, five days off and using up all my vacation and sick days just to stay on shift with a hurt back. Cause I knew I could power through right. a day. And then after that, I was toast and I couldn't even pick up my kids, you know? And so at a certain point, it became obvious that I was compromising the integrity of, of our team. And, you know, so, so that was when the state said, listen, you, you got to take the medical retirement. And so I did. And that was another big pivot because at that time I was running another business on the side, right. like, you know, some of us firefighters do, you know, right. So I was running another business on the top, on the side and, and things were great. I plan on being a firefighter forever. And it just didn't work out that way. And that's how I found coaching. That's crazy. That's a, a you know, yeah, you, you change a lot of different so. things. And, you know, when you, when you're talking about, it's interesting when you, when you think about it is people, a lot of times, not you especially, but a lot of people think about goals and you wanted to be, you know, you wanted to get your Ranger tab and everything like that. So those are, those are lofty goals, right? But 
a lot of people won't go for those because they're bigger failures. And the point that you were making, and I love it, is it it gives you a chance to pivot almost at a higher level if you do fail, right? Oh, yeah. I don't remember exactly what the quote is, but it was, I think, Theodore Roosevelt talks about the man in the arena. You know, if you're going to fail, at least fail while daring greatly. So you're not like those meek and timid souls who know neither victory nor, nor defeat. And I forget the middle part of it, but that's always resonated with me because who wants the story of their life to be written and nobody wants to read it? Right. Because nothing happens. Right. Right. I watched a lot of Netflix and I, I went to my job every day and didn't get fired. And then I retired and played golf or, you know, put together puzzles or whatever. And then I died and I never wanted that life. I never wanted to be, I had a fear of mediocrity, I had a fear of being ordinary. And I still kind of do. It's not so much a fear anymore. It's just a, just a commitment not to, not to have that be part of my world. And so I'm not afraid of, of failing at something big. I'm not afraid of failing at anything because that's where you learn the most. You know, the bigger the challenge, the more you're going to learn in that process of not accomplishing your goal in the timeline that you set. I wouldn't even call it a failure. It's just another chance to pivot. It's another thing that you've learned. It's another experience that you can relate to life and that you can pull from and and draw from. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. My guest today is Isaac. Isaac is the, well, I like this one, the chief culture officer of Kaizen Coaching, uh, also the founder, paratrooper was a firefighter, a lot of great information, and a fantastic coach. You can go to kaizencoaching.com to find out more about Isaac and Kaizen Coaching. Now, Isaac, I have some questions for you. I never give these questions to people in advance because I like to uh, make them uncomfortable. So here's Bring the first on. question, brother. What is one thing you haven't done but is outside of your comfort zone? Mm, I thought you were going to ask what I was wearing. That would have been That would have been very uncomfortable. <laughs> What is one thing that I haven't done that's outside my comfort zone? It's always a challenge. See, I don't even prep you. Yeah, this is good. This is good. You know, you know a great question when somebody doesn't answer exactly. right away. That's what we have that's editing you know you for. Really <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that I've always just kind of wanted to do and been inspired to do and never actually done it is go climb a big ass mountain. I mean, that's like... Mount Rainier has been calling my name forever. It will still happen. And in fact, it should probably happen next year. We'll go ahead and put it out there. Start looking around and make on that. Yeah. So next summer, of course, I got to ask permission first because I'm there. You go. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a big thing for me. It's, you know, there, I don't know, big adrenaline type experiences are, are not necessarily what I, what I look for so much as the, the evolution of who I get to become in training for the thing and accomplishing the thing. A lot of people would say, you know, skydiving or, you know, doing this, doing this scary thing. And I can totally see that. And for me, it's never been compelling for me to do something that's just an adrenaline hire that's scary. For me, it's more about who am I going to become or who do I get to become in that process? And who am I going to be on the other side of it? And so for me, just climbing a mountain that is going to challenge me physically and mentally and emotionally and all those things like that's that's probably that next big challenge for me. I like it. I like it. I'm going to hold you to it too. All right. Second question for you. What's your favorite quote and why? My favorite quote. Well, I did reference the Theodore Roosevelt one earlier. That is definitely one of my favorites. I would say that going maybe a little bit unconventional here, there was something that all the way back with Cutco, I had a manager and mentor named Mark Lovis. And he used to always say, in fact, he gave a keynote on this at one point. 
he would always talk about being off self and on purpose. You know, are you off self and on purpose? And it just really resonated and stuck with me because every time I would think about that, I would think, man, if I'm in a bad mood, if I am blame, you know, blaming other people and just had a, had a really terrible experience and I'm wallowing for a minute, it's usually because I'm focused on myself. What, it, what didn't I get? What don't I deserve? What do I deserve? Or should I be entitled to? And I was not focused on how do I serve my purpose? How do I really accomplish this big thing? So that's stuck with me ever since just being off self and on purpose. And I like to play on words too, because it's like being off self on purpose, you know, or, or, or purposefully off self. Right. So that's probably been the biggest um, influence. It, it's not the sexy, flashy, you know, <laughs> by some president or something, but it's, it's been the most impactful for me. And it's I like a it. Reminder. Yeah. To just focus. I think it's a great, it's a great message. All right. Third question for you. This one's always the tough one, but you should be good at this. If you could pick to have coffee with three other people at a firehouse coffee table, obviously nothing is off the table when, you, when you're when you talking at the firehouse coffee table. No kidding. Who would it be and why? They can be living or dead. Wow. Exactly. Wow. So. See, another one of those stalling dude, questions. Dude, it's another great question. <laughs> you should be a coach. <laughs> gosh that sounds familiar <laughs> yeah just thinking deep yeah i am <laughs> um so i think one of the people that i would like to have at that table and there's so many good choices that's what makes it hard so without trying to get it perfect and come up with the ultimate three which which i would probably never arrive at you know people who fascinate me are so tim ferris has fascinated me for quite a while I love his ability to and commitment to change and be humbled <laughs> a lot and experiment <laughs> on things and, and just figure out just figure out life, you know, and figure out our our physiology and our mentality. And I would like to spend some time around the firehouse table getting some some more stories from him that maybe aren't in his books or on his podcasts about other adventures that he's been on. And so I'll just give you some live relevant people right now, just to narrow it down so I can actually pick. Um, Perfect. <laughs> he, would be, he would be one for sure. Someone else who fascinates me right now is Wim Hof. Have you heard of Wim Hof? I have not. So Wim Hof, he's also known as the Iceman. And he is, he teaches and promotes these, you know, breathing techniques where he can be submerged in ice cold water for hours and he can regulate his own body temperature. He controls his own immune system, just things like that. So I like being around people who wow. challenge the status quo in a less mainstream way, I guess you'd say. I mean, right. there's Richard Branson's and the people who, you know, who are disruptors in the market and I, they fascinate me as well. And Yet the people who right now are, I would just want to get in front of and figure out how do you tick? You know, tell me, like, I want to see what the human looks like. Are the guys right. like Tim Wim Hof? Um, who rounds out the table? Rounds out the table. That is a good question. <laughs> it kind of gives you insight as to who you are. That's what I love about this question because a lot of people will think deeply about it. And then there's some people that, one person chose God, Jesus, and Mary. <laughs> well, I was like, that, I that'd be interesting. Either, yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> the other two are already on their second round of coffee. 
They're going to get hyped up. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we're, we're like, I get to have coffee with my wife basically every day. So we're not counting that. Right. But I do think. No, it no, no. To- <laughs> <laughs> I love how this is perplexing you. It is. So the, the third person that I would have at that table, just because I think it would be a fun table. And because the last time I was having a meal with this person was maybe not the last time, but every time I've had a meal with this person has been inspired, interesting, interesting conversation is uh, Susan Scott. So Susan wrote a book called Fierce Conversations and then Fierce Leadership. And she so highly sought after speaker and, and coach and author. And I remember the first time, so I met her at an event called Coaching Skills Camp and I went up, introduced myself. I said, I, I loved what you had to say. That's fascinating. And and uh, she said that she was from Orcas Island, Washington. And I said, oh, we go there every year on our anniversary. That's interesting. It's a small place. And she said, oh, well, I've got a tree house there. You should come by sometime. And so not knowing any better, I said, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. And so I got her information and um, followed up and and went up there. And I, so it was my wife and I, and I met her with her and, and there was a friend of hers there as well. And so she legit lived in a treehouse. It, it's an amazing treehouse. It was actually on Treehouse Masters, if you're familiar with the show. Oh, that's a great show. Yeah. yeah. And so it was featured on the show. And, and so it's, it's not, she wasn't roughing it, so to speak, but it was <laughs> cool, just a cool experience. And we go in there and we're drinking a glass of wine and, and having some, you know, I think it was like a cheese and grapes platter or something. And we started talking about, life. And so she, we were talking about her book, Fierce Conversations, and I just read it again. We're talking through it. And she asked me, what are your other, I think I asked her first, I said, what are your other favorite books? And she said, well, I, I, when I'm writing, I try not to read a whole lot of other books. And, you know, then she reciprocated and asked me the question. And and I said, oh man, I've, and at this point, let's just say that I was, I was trying to show off probably a little bit was not maybe as (laughs) self-aware. As I am now, hopefully I'm a little bit more involved in this. So I wanted to impress her. It was my first meeting. It was a big deal for me. And my wife was sitting there and, you know, you always want to look good in front of your wife too. So I was like, oh man, I was homeschooled through uh, up till fifth grade. And so I, I used to read all the time. I lived in Washington, so there's nothing to do there outside a lot of the year because unless you want to go play in the rain. So a lot of times I would just read. And so I've got, I've read thousands of books and I, I just love books. And so here are a list of a bunch of my favorites and I'm reading like five books right now, you know, and she's like, Oh, okay. You know, interesting. And she's very gracious about it. And then she punched me in the throat a little bit. She said, can I ask you? I said, yeah, absolutely. And I thought she was going to, you know, set me up for another brag session. And she said, how many of those have you mastered? <laughs> uh, not, yes. not, not exactly the question I was expecting. And so <laughs> I, I, Compose myself real quick, you know, uh, and I was like, I don't think any of them, I guess, if I were to be honest. And yeah, I think that the closest I've ever come to that would be the Miracle Morning. And I've just been doing it for a long time at that point. There wasn't the whole series out like there is now. And I said, right, that would be the one, that would be the only one that I could claim to even approach any semblance of, of mastery, even if we're only talking about doability, even if we're only talking about me doing part of the stuff on a regular basis. And she said, oh, okay, great. Can I ask another question? And my brain and my gut wanted to say no. Um, <laughs> but my ego wanted to say heck no. And I still said, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, you know, the right answer. Right. So 
I said, yes, you can. And she said, okay. So if you're going to read all these books, I'm assuming that takes a lot of your time and, and you're very focused on this. And so if you're not going to master what's in them, then what's the point? Dang it. Another, another you were on the floor at that point. <laughs> somewhere else, you know? And so I just really had to sit and think about that. And I went, man, I guess the point, if you're going to read all those books would be to either implement them, or if I'm not going to implement them, I guess the point is just to try to look smart or know a lot about a lot of things. So I don't look stupid. Right. So it's generally comes back to ego. Yeah. Either I don't want to look stupid or I want to look smart. And so this is why we need a women. I love that coffee time. She would, she would yeah. fill that, that table really well. Yeah. This is why we need a woman at the table, right? So, um, there you go. And, and a coach, because <laughs> she's going to ask some and incredible questions. So we, I love it. Said, I don't know. And she said, well, what the third question? It's <laughs> like, okay. By this point, you know, my ego is numb from all the beating. And so it's not going to hurt anyways. And I said, yes, that's fine. Go ahead and ask me a third question. She said, <laughs> what would happen if you were to just pick three books, any three books? And you you could master what was in those three books. What would change in your life? What would change in your world? Man, another good question, oh, right? Another yeah. amazing question, right? And I thought about, well, if I could master some of the best informational books or, you know, thought leader type books, my life would be completely different right now. You know, I could change if I could master what the content in those books. And so... That was that was before I even read Essentialism. What kind of got me on the Essentialism kick was just understanding because of some great coaching. That was that was a three question amazing coaching session. It's one of the best coaching sessions I've ever had in my life, and right. has still impacted me to this day. And so um, that is why I think that number one, we need a woman at the table for sure. And two, it if Susan was that person, it would be a very interesting conversation. Oh, you're darn right. After that story, I can imagine. Uh... Definitely, everybody would be on their edge of their seat. <laughs> she she let me lick my wounds and drink my wine and and you know, so yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, she's great. I love it. I love it. All right, the final thing is a rapid round questions. All you have to do is give me one of the um, responses that I give you. Okay, so All right. the first one is paper or plastic. Paper. Soup or salad. Salad. McDonald's or Taco Bell? Neither. <laughs> Camping or hotel? Camping. Fly or drive? Drive. Sleep in late or wake up early? Wake up early. Run or walk? Run. Partly sunny or partly cloudy? Aren't they the same thing? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Fire Either or water? Water. Ooh. Use a porta potty or continue to drive run to the next physical bathroom. Drive run. Oh, come on. All right, here we go. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. Go big or go home. <laughs> go big. All right. Hey, uh, my guest has been Isaac. Isaac, thank you so much for being on and being a positive impact and influence in this world. And if you want to find out more about Isaac, you can go to kaizencoaching.com. It's all about Isaac as well as about the coaches that can help you to live a better life. So thanks, Isaac, again. And uh, for the listeners, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. 
Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the